You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned afterward for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Hi everybody, your scripture reading today is going to be from the book of James chapter 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossoms fall and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of firstfruits of all he created. And that is the word of God. Hey, everybody, today we start a brand new series going through a book that on one hand might kind of, sort of, seem to be the exact opposite of what we've just been through. If you're just joining us today, you should know that for the past six weeks, we've been going through a series looking at life after death, looking at the life to come. We've been imagining heaven, but today we sort of swing low back down to earth into a book that really is the most down-to-earth book in the New Testament. It's the book of James, but I, I love the book for being that. I hope you love the book for that, and if you don't love it yet, I hope you just might by the end of this series. But I really love the book of James, and not just because of what's in the book of James, but because of James himself. And the reason that I love the person of James himself is because James is the one person in history who, apart from perhaps the Apostle Paul, has convinced me more than any other person of the truth of who Jesus Christ is and who he claimed to be, God come in a body. Why is that? Well, because this James, the James who wrote James, was someone extraordinary. This James was not one of Jesus' original 12 disciples. This was a different James. This James was Jesus' own brother. James was Jesus' younger brother. He grew up with Jesus, but for the entirety of Jesus' adult life, adult ministry, James did not believe in Jesus. As a matter of fact, at one point, 
James was so skeptical of his brother, so embarrassed by his brother, so humiliated by his brother's claims to be God that James actually suggested that Jesus go to a city, to a place where he knew people hated him, hated him, so that they might kill him. That's right. James actually suggested in a way that Jesus go kill himself because James was ashamed of Jesus. And yet here, when you read the first verse of this little letter that he wrote, James introduces himself to you and to me like this. He writes, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. James calls Jesus, his own brother, his Lord. What happened? What did it take? I mean, come on, a lot of you have brothers. What would it take to convince you that your brother was God. If, if you have a brother, I know what you're thinking right now. You're thinking there's nothing he could do, nothing he could say to convince me he was God. I don't care what he says. And listen, there's, you know this is true. There's nothing your brother could do to convince you he was God. Unless maybe, perhaps, you saw him be brutally executed. You saw him go into a tomb dead and you saw him rise again and you talk to him at that point if your brother did that you might be convinced he was God and the truth of history is James was convinced because that is what happened the resurrection of Jesus Christ transformed James from skeptical brother into convinced believer and his faith in Jesus turned him into something remarkable and enabled him to be someone remarkable we're going to look at that but not because of what he just believed not because the bible told him so it's better than that it's because of what he saw and so he went on to write a letter all about what the gospel of his brother the Lord Jesus Christ does to us and so that is what we're going to look at in this series week by week we're going to look at what the gospel shows us we were made to be and who we were made to become. And James is going to give us an insider look into all of it. So who are you? Who were you made to be? What and who were you made to become? So we're looking at in this series. That's what we're looking at right now. And today we're going to see three things. First, we're going to see what James says we can become, what we can become. Number two, what we need to become it. And finally, we're going to see how we can get what we need, what we can become, what we need to become that, and how we can get what we need. Here we go. Number one, let's see what we can become. What can we become that James thinks is so remarkable? Let me try to set it up like this. The morning of the day that I got married, I woke up to sunshine peeking through the blinds in my room. And the reason that was a big deal is because I had gone to sleep the night before in the middle of a thunderstorm. Our wedding carries in our wedding. Uh, my wedding was scheduled to be outdoors outside the next day with no plan B. And so when I awoke and I saw sunshine and not rain, I counted it all joy. The day each of my children were born, even though a couple of the deliveries were especially challenging for Carrie, everybody made it, everybody was healthy, and I counted it all joy. The moment my daughter uh, dances big part in a ballet and I saw her smile and glide across the stage, I counted it all joy. That time one of my sons learned how to throw a curveball 
and struck a kid out, you know, dad counted it all joy and the time. A bunch of my friends at Mosaic here, they surprised me for my birthday, and to get me to the surprise location at the right time, they played all these mind tricks, mind games on me, and one of the people I was going to the party with in the car, her name was Jody, super private person, she convinced us to stop and pull over so she could get some stupid itchy foot cream, she called it, which of course was ridiculous, a total lie. And then on the way home, we laughed about all of it till we cried. I counted that night all joy. And when I see you again, when we are able to meet and see each other face to face, you know I'm going to count it all joy. And yet, James says we should have not just joy, but pure joy because of something counterintuitive. Look at what he says in verse 2. Tell you opens the letter. Consider it. Pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, just going to keep it real for a minute. I'm pretty sure I don't think I've ever felt the same way about a trial. I felt about my wedding day, the birth of my children, or laughing, being with you, my friends. And yet James tells us we should look at that trial and say, not cursed situation. We should call it, consider it, pure joy. Why? What does that trial do? Look at verse three. He says, because you know, you know, right? You know, don't you? That the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Now look at this little word here. It's the word testing in English, but it comes from the Greek word, a great word, the word dokimos, which is a fascinating word. And it's the word that points us to what we can become. What's it mean? What is the dokimos? Well, in the ancient world, there was no banking system as we know it today. They didn't have paper money. They didn't have checks. <coughs> Who uses those anymore anyway? They didn't have credit cards. They didn't have debit cards. No Venmo, Venmo no PayPal, no Zelle. All the money in James's day were from coins made from metal. And the value of the coins came from the weight of the metal. To make the money, a certain amount of metal was heated until it turned into a liquid. And the liquid was poured into a coin-shaped mold, and then it cooled. But the coins, even when they cooled, were soft with uneven edges, which made it possible to shave off the gold edges, to shave off the silver edges. And of course, many people did this, which had the double effect of creating personal profit illegally while devaluing the coinage. In fact, coin shaving became so prevalent that at one point in the ancient world, 80 laws were passed in the city of Athens to stop the practice of whittling down the coins, especially among the money changers. The money changers had acquired a bad reputation by Jesus' day, by James' day. You can read this in the New Testament because they whittled down money. They kept the shavings and they gave you a kind of counterfeit money in return that quite literally wasn't worth its weight. Most money changers in James' day would enrich themselves at your expense. But some money changers were men of integrity. Some money changers would accept no counterfeit money nor create it. Some money changers were men of honor who put only genuine full weight money into circulation and such men were called dokimos. And this word is used here and throughout the New Testament as an image, as a picture of who the Christian is supposed to be. Because the word dokimos, the word itself means approved, through trial, approved through trial. 
See, the dokimos were approved. They had been tested. They had been tried. They had been given the opportunity to show their quality, and they did. Despite the pressure to steal, despite the opportunity to shave off the edges and pocket profit at the expense of the public, they didn't do it. They kept their honor. They kept their integrity. They had become approved. Even in the face of temptation, they were unstoppable. And I want to tell you today that trials, James is telling us, trials have come to make us that. They have come to make us a people like that. Trials have come to make us people who are unstoppable in the face of overwhelming pressure. Trials have come to make sure you and I were not offering a whittled down version of ourselves to the world. Trials have come to make us into something we have never been able to be all along. Or, as James puts it, trials have come to make sure you and I are mature and complete, lacking nothing. They have, they've come to make you a little bit, and you know, this is a, you'll pardon the example here, they're a little bit like your mom at the store with her purse when you were a kid, or like your dad with his fanny pack when you were at Six Flags or Disney World or SeaWorld or wherever when you were in a kid. It's like they had everything in there, like everything you ever needed. Your mom had it in her purse, dad had it in his fanny pack. Scissors, check. Razor blade, check. Matches, check, string, knife, mirror, glue, band-aid, sunscreen for us, SPF, a thousand wears, an extra hat, and a quote, Toy Story 2, my favorite Pixar film, your angry eyes, just in case. Lip balm, some crackers, a juice box, and a puzzle to keep you occupied. Like, they had everything you needed. They lacked nothing. And because of that, you were unstoppable in the store or at the park. And James is saying, Trials come to put every tool in your tool belt you could possibly need to make you like that. Maturity, check. Poise, check. Confidence, check. Uh, perspective, check. Now, because of the trial, you're complete. Now, because of the trial, you can handle anything. You're unstoppable. And now, 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 maybe you can understand why James says, when you see your trial coming, you should say, you should consider it pure joy. When you see that trial coming, you should say, it's coming to make me complete. The trial is coming to make sure we don't lack anything and to make us unstoppable. That is what we can become. So what do we need to become that? Number two, what we need to become who we were meant to become. And the reason I'm asking this question is because now we should just acknowledge that trials, suffering, temptation, they're not that easy. And all God's people said, amen. Let's just acknowledge suffering and trials can not only make us better, but sometimes, maybe oftentimes, they make us worse. They can break us if we don't handle them well. Let's just acknowledge some people do well under trials. Some people crumble and break, fall apart. Let's just acknowledge, furthermore, that our culture has not equipped us to handle suffering well, trials well. In fact, we should just acknowledge that in many ways, our culture uh, of the unfiltered pursuit of pleasure, of materialism, of uh, personal happiness has actually de-equipped us to handle suffering and trials. But thankfully, James wants to help us with that. What do we need then to become unstoppable, to be equipped to handle our trial? James here gives us two resources. We're going to look at them in turn. First, we need what James points us to right here in verse 5. He says, 
if any of you lacks wisdom because you just might hint, hint, nudge, nudge, cough, cough, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given you. He's saying, James is saying, we need this. We need personalized wisdom, personalized wisdom. Why do I put it like that, call it that? Well, it's not just because it's quite literally your problem you're in the middle of, your trial you're facing. You need personalized wisdom because you need a personalized path out of your specific trial. Here's what I mean. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Free Solo. It's a remarkable documentary film. It's about a man named Alex Honnold. You can see him there, who wants to be the first person to free solo climb the face of El Capitan. It's the, it's the uh, near vertical rock formation in Yosemite Park in California. To, to free solo climb means that you climb mountains without gear, ropes, or harnesses. To, it just means you go up with your bare hands, and a bag of chalk. And here's what climbing free solo looks like sometimes. It looks like this. Uh, it looks like this. One more, it looks like that. Yeah, and so if your palms are starting to get sweaty after you see all that, just go ahead and wipe them on the pajamas you still got on. But when you go through a trial, it's a slow, painstaking, dangerous climb process out of where you are at some point you can't go down you can't go back you can only go up and out one finger hold one toe hold at a time and a free solo climber to make it therefore needs wisdom to make it up the mountain they need to know where to get that toe hold where to get that small grip in that small spot so do you know what free solo climbers do first. Well, they practice going up with safety equipment and with others, with friends to learn the mountain. They learn the shape of the trial before they free solo. They get personalized wisdom about the mountain first. Now, when it comes to a trial, whatever you're facing, you may be right now climbing some mountain like you feel like you've never been to before. You don't have the advantage of practice or foresight. But just because you've never been there before doesn't mean no one else has. And I'm not just talking about friends or mentors. Because don't we as Christians believe that Jesus Christ has come as God in our place to climb the cross, to carry our burden, to scale the impossible pass and place we could never go to and climb out of. He was perfection in a trial. Don't we believe he came to be that for us in our place we do. And that's why James says, if you lack wisdom, you should ask God. He has been where you've been. And he is able to give you the personalized wisdom you need if you ask for it. So ask for it. You need personalized wisdom for your situation. God actually wants to give it to you. But you don't just need that. You don't just need personalized wisdom to make it in your trial. To become unstoppable, you actually need a second kind of resource James points us to right here in verse 13. He goes on, he says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to death and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. 
Well, what's he talking about? He's talking about that, that other thing that you need in a trial. I'll put it like this. You need radical honesty. Radical honesty. I mean radical honesty about who you really are and a radical honesty about what you love the most. Have you ever wondered why? And we've kind of hinted at it already. Why some people do better as a result of a trial, but some people grow worse. Some people turn to gold. Other people never recover. Why? Well, when you're in a trial, when you're in the fight of your life, the climb of your life, it just exposes who you are down deep. It exposes your need for God, uh, your need for the love of God. And intimacy with God in some vital, crucial part of your life, perhaps you didn't even know was there before. See, what, what crushes us in our trial is an unexamined pre-commitment to be intimate with what our translation calls our own evil desire. But that, that's not really a good translation there. The Greek word here for own evil desire is the one word, epithumia, epithumia. And it's a word Jesus actually used throughout his ministry. Epithumia means this. It means an epic desire, an overarching desire, a master desire. See, each of us, Jesus assumed this. James is just repeating this. Each of us has a master desire that overshadows everything else, a master desire we're being intimate with right now. And trials come to show us what that master desire really is. If it's success, for example, if it's a career, if it's having a name, and then the economy turns around, goes away, and you're not just disappointed, that's, that, that's normal, but leveled, crushed, you despair of life itself, you just found out what your epithumia was. If it's a relationship, that person broke up with you and you're devastated now to the point of substance abuse ending your life perhaps that's your epithumia that relationship is your master desire when we get in a trial James is showing us that thing down deep it gets touched it gets exposed and James says don't say if there's a dark thing coming out of you it's God's fault don't th say that the dark thing coming out of your soul in your trial is the, the fault of Almighty God. If you're tempted to despair, to give up completely, what's happening is that what you've been really living for all along has just been brought out into the open for you to be radically honest about. See, the language James is using here is the language of intimacy, seed, conception, birth, enticed. See, when a person puts themselves into the arms of a lover, the fruit of that union is evident. He just looks like its parents. And so when a trial comes, when that thing gets brought up out of you, it's your opportunity to do a DNA check on it, an ancestry test. What is that thing? Where is it coming from? You're getting the chance to be radically honest about what you love the most. And if you don't like what you see coming out of you, James says, in a way, you should rejoice because now you're being given afresh the chance to put things right. You're getting the chance to move your house, to use Jesus' example, from the sand bit by bit over to the rock. See, in the end, who and what you're intimate with 
determines what kind of fruit gets born in your life. Will fear, will anger, uh, disillusionment, perpetual despair be the fruit of our lives? Or can we find something better? Let me tell you, friend, friend, God has something better for you and for me. Something better for our lives if we'll have the courage to find intimacy in perhaps a new place. And if you'll be radically honest today about what you love, if you'll have the courage to change that over and over, you can become an unstoppable person of perseverance. So, all right, that's it. Go get wisdom. Go change what you love. Go change your life. That's it. See you next week, boys and girls. Of course. Now, we can't end like that. What? What? Can soften our hearts to enable us to ask and receive the wisdom of God? What can cause us to let go of a lesser love? We need wisdom. We need honesty. We need the courage to change, to make it in the trial. How? Number three, in the end, how can we get what we need? Let's see. How can we get what we need? Well, there's a great story. And he knew this was coming, but it's from some legends that J.R.R. Tolkien wrote. No, it's not from the Lord of the Rings, so if you don't like those books or movies, it's all good. This isn't from there anyway. But this story is about a character who lived before all of that. It's about a man, a warrior named Huron, who defended the lands of his people. And in a great battle, in the battle on the trial of his life, as all the enemy closed in around him and the king he had been traveling with, he gathered the remaining men that he had and he allowed the king to escape and to live and to perhaps bring reinforcements but it wouldn't happen. His remaining warriors were killed and Huron was backed up to a river with no way out, but Huron wouldn't quit. He wouldn't despair. He swung his ax over and over and over again, driving back the enemy. He swung that ax over and over again. 70 times the story goes, he swung his ax. He repelled the advance of the enemy all alone. And as the day turned into night, all through the darkness, he swung his ax and Huron was unstoppable. None of the enemy could get to him. And all night long in the dark, as he swung his ax, here's what he cried. He cried, day will come again. Day will come again. That was his battle cry. That was his heart cry. Day will come again. But in the end, the only way he could be defeated was simply by the enemy literally overrunning him through sheer numbers falling on top of him. And in the end, he became known as Huron the Steadfast. Huron the Steadfast. Now, now imagine if that could be said of you and me. If I became Morgan the Steadfast, you became you the Steadfast. Jennifer, Daniel, Joseph, Rebecca, Martin, John, Kim, Clay the Steadfast. How did Huron do it? Here's how. Huron became steadfast because Huron remembered his king. All night long, he thought about his love for his king. His love for his king transformed him into one who was steadfast. And I want to tell you, this is possible for you and for me because, because after all, it was possible for James. James, the one who wrote these words we're looking at today, because one day to James stood steadfast in his trial. Church history tells us that he was taken to the top of the Jewish temple where James himself 
made his last stand. We know that James had become the leader of the church in Jerusalem and his testimony about Jesus, his brother, who was his Lord, who was God come in a body. James's own testimony was causing so many to turn away from the Jewish faith and towards faith in Jesus that he was taken up to the top of the temple and was urged to recant his faith and belief and his own teaching that his brother Jesus was the Messiah. He was told to recant his belief or else. And when he refused, he was pushed off the top of the temple which didn't actually kill him. And so those who pushed him came down, began to stone him, until finally a blow to his head ended his life. It was a remarkable end to the remarkable life of James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. James persevered under his trial, in his trial, and so truly we should say to him his own words, verse 12, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. But do you know what James said in his moment when his life was on the line, line, when the Pharisees asked him, who is Jesus? with the expectation that he would publicly recant. Here's what James said. The church historian Eusebius recorded it for us. James said this, He is the one who sits on the right hand of the great power and shall come on the clouds of heaven. See, like Hurin, in a way, James said, Day will come again. My Jesus will come again. In that moment, in his trial, James, like Hurin, was remembering his love. His king. And that, my friends, is the key to perseverance, to making it, and standing in a trial, to becoming the dokimos. It's remembering our love for our king. Hebrews 12 puts it like this, and let us run with what? Perseverance, steadfastness, the race marked out for us. We've, we've each got a race. We've each got a thing to run. We've each got a trial. Here's how we do it. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Are you losing heart today? I want to tell you, you don't have to. Are you growing weary as you swing your ax in your battle and your trial today? I want to tell you, if you'll consider your king and his great love for you, you won't lose heart. As the hymn says, oh, how he loves you and me. Oh, how he loves you and me. He gave his life. What more could he give? Oh, how he loves you. How he loves me. Oh, how he loves you and me. Church, let me pray for you. Father God, I thank you today for these truths, for your word to us that we can become the dokimos, people who are unstoppable in our trial, people who have been approved through testing. Lord, I'm praying for each person's heart right now. It wouldn't fail. It wouldn't fall. As we look to you, we would receive and live out the courage we need to make it in whatever our moment is. I thank you for today. In Jesus, Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com. 
or download our app from your app store.